Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does with comic book movies what the Rocketeer did for the first Avenger. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick. And Matthew Turner. Hey Matt, how's it going? It's going well, thank you. I'm delighted to be uh, to be back for my second, my second episode. Yes, we were just saying you were on the podcast for the first time way back when we did the Fantastic Four reboot, the Josh... <laughs> the- the Josh the most Fantastic forgotten Four. comic book yeah. movie of the last few years. Yeah. Well, the reboot that this week Josh Trank apologised for uh, in the wake of Stan Lee's passing, saying he felt he'd let Stan Lee down. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, but apparently Stan Lee was very supportive and sent him like a nice note and stuff. So, oh bless. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was gutted to miss your. Uh, I, I thought this being the first podcast you record, official podcast you're recording after. Well, first official episode after Stanley's passing that you you know I get to talk a little bit about Stanley and and everything, but um, but yeah, I was similarly hit like uh, like you guys. I mean, Marvel's a, was a huge part of my life um, and still is really. But uh, but gr- I grew up reading the comics like like Seb and uh, and James, and uh, yeah, it just yeah, it was a sadness, a real sadness. What a fuck? Can I swear? Am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, what we a gave fucking up legacy! On the tag a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> what a legacy! Yeah, it, absolutely extraordinary. Just extraordinary um, legacy. Yeah, and and you know we'll we will get to continue to enjoy it. Um, uh, not a Marvel movie today, though. On the podcast, Matt, you we we have got this is this is a movie that we've kind of been holding in the back pocket. For when we got you around, we were—I I don't think we were ever going to do this podcast without you on it. Uh, so, do that's you want to very tell our listeners what we are talking about today? Um, I mean, I guess primarily because I use the the Rocketeer, the icon from the Art Deco Rocketeer poster, the gorgeous uh, Art Deco um, poster, uh, as my icon on pretty much across everything on social media, like well, certainly particularly Twitter, but you know everything. And, um, yeah, I mean, I do love the movie. I, I saw the movie 50 something times in 1991 cause I was working at, um, Brighton Odeon at the time. So at one point I knew it like back to front <laughs> and, uh, I, pr- I actually haven't watched it, rewatched it for a long, long time. I, this will, this may be a bit of an embarrassing confession, but I only just bought it on DVD. If you can believe it, I didn't even own it on DVD. I knew it so well. Um, so I only watched it, bought it on DVD to watch, um, to watch for the podcast. But, uh, 
yeah, I do. I do love it. I kind of. Well, we'll get to this. We'll get to all that later. Um, <laughs> is that, that? I'm assuming that's what you were alluding to. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I tell you what's interesting. I tell you what's great though, and I really. Need, I think I probably need to thank you for this because. Despite the fact that I'd seen it all those times, and despite the fact that obviously I've, the icon has been my kind of avatar, um, <laughs> as I said, for, for probably nearly 20 years now, actually. Um, well, let's say whenever I first kind of put an avatar on something, it was probably Flickr or something like that, like, you know, something 15 years ago that, that required an avatar. Despite all of that, I uh, and my online name has always been Film Fan or, or Film Fan 1971, or I think on IMDb it was like Film Fan 2001 or something. Um, I didn't know until watching it this time that it actually that the Rocketeer actually has the the uh, the line the word film fan in it. It has right at the end. Alan, Ar- <laughs> uh, Alan Arkin says film fans. <laughs> I was like, oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, I was quite touched by that. Lovely. Maybe it was subconsciously buried there the whole time. Well, no, I mean, officially, I took film fan from Danny Peary's Guide for the Film Fanatic, which has been like my kind of film bible for the last since like 1986 basically i've been working my way through danny Peary's guide for the film fanatic since 1986 and it's <laughs> it, yeah i took it from that so to me they didn't really have a connection for me but as you say maybe but now they do yes please carry on <laughs> <laughs> okay um, me so we will uh discuss the latest comment movie and tv news before as Matt said, diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of Joe Johnston's 1991 movie, The Rocketeer. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seb to explain to me something I don't know about Aquaman. And Seb, I ask you specifically about Aquaman, because there was a trailer for Aquaman released this week. I thought it was quite good, but it didn't actually show me anything new, I don't think. So I was like... I was like, let's ask Seb a bit. Let's ask Seb a bit more about Aquaman. This is a good time to ask. I mean, I don't have a huge amount of Aquaman knowledge, but I do have things to say about that trailer. Uh, but okay, so well, do you know that for a while Aquaman uh, was missing a hand and had a hook for a hand? I did not know that. Oh, okay. Because I, I was going. If you know did that. know that, I was going to ask if you knew how he lost his hand. Um, so this was in the early nineties um, when you know various things were being done to various classic characters. So you'd had the death of Superman. You'd had Batman Nightfall. It was either I think it was slightly after this or maybe just before this that they'd killed off uh, Oliver Queen, Green Arrow. Uh, and replaced him with uh, with Connor Hawke. And for Aquaman, uh, you you must know or have heard of a writer called Peter David. You've probably read stuff yes, by yes. him. We've recommended yeah. on the podcast before. Uh, he took over on Aquaman, um, and that's where Aquaman got his new look, where they got rid of the the orange shirt. Although he had actually had a, a different new look in the eighties for a short lived miniseries, which we'll talk about that a bit more when we get to the the main Aquaman episode, actually, because it's one of the few Aquaman comics I can actually talk about. Um, but yeah, so he got a new look, ditching the old orange shirt. With with kind of long scraggly hair and a scraggly beard and a kind of like no shirt except for a metal sort of armor thing on his shoulder and he had a hook for a hand because he lost his hand when it was put into a pool of piranhas his hand got eaten by piranhas um, <laughs> now you might say you know what's the one thing everyone knows about aquaman he can talk to fish so the stupidest way surely for aquaman to lose his hand is for it to be eaten by piranhas in his defense he had had his ability to talk to fish taken away from him at the point of the story and to be fair even if he just said piranhas don't eat my hand 
there was no guarantee they were going to listen. Well, yes, and 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 it wasn't it wasn't like he was just swimming around and some piranhas came up. His hand was thrust into a pool full of piranhas deliberately oh. so that they could. Um, and yeah, so for throughout the nineties and probably a good chunk of the two thousands, he either had a hook for a hand or just a prosthetic hand. Um, and then he they did the new fifty two reboot, and I think he's he had his hands since then. Pots a little trident on the end of it. And then you know he would have he wouldn't have needed to go around carrying it anymore. Well, it was a it had two a prongs, so it was a it was a Biden, <laughs> um, like a, like a Lego hand that you could just that you could just it, click it did, it did just look, click look it, up, it did into. look a bit like a Lego hand actually. <laughs> Listen, guys, I think this is very disabled, and I think we need to. Move but actually, on. he, I mean, he on, loses on his a... hand differently in the in the Justice League cartoons, doesn't he? I can't remember how now. I think somebody cuts it off. One of the villains cuts it off. It, like it is worth noting, actually, though, that that look is basically where the 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 Jason Momoa look of the long scraggly hair and no shirt. Um, I mean, that basically comes from the fact that they've cast Jason Momoa, admittedly, but it, it does have a precedent in the comics, and it is those nineties comics. Hey, Seb. Before we move on from Aquaman, uh, because we are moving on to news, and the Aquaman trailer was this week. Uh, what did you have to say about it? Did you did you like it? Uh, um, I mean. I do like, but it was a shot we'd already had in a previous trailer. I did like seeing him in the orange shirt, even though that's obviously going to come from the end of the film. But it also tied into my biggest problem with the trailer, which is that the trailer introduces us to the premise of the fact that this film is going to be all about everybody trying to get their hands on this special trident. And then the final shot of the trailer is Aquaman holding the special trident. I so it's like, he... okay, so we know we know who, how that one ends then. <laughs> it feels like he gets the trident and then he no longer has the trident and then he gets the... Tri- the no, but... Because if he's, tra- I'm sorry, if he's no, wearing sorry, the I orange mean, suit, that shot is from the end. No, no, the I'm film. talking about the actual trailer itself. In the oh, structure okay, yeah. of the trailer, I swear at one point he has the trident and then he doesn't have it. And then he has it again. And then someone explains to him why it would be good to have the trident. And then he doesn't have it. And then he has it again. Um, I mean, the other things I'll say about this trailer are, I, I can't I can't remember if I've made this joke on this podcast or only on Twitter or just to people, but um, Jupiter Submerging is what I think this film looks like. Uh, you I made, made that, that joke definitely made it on the podcast. I can't give you credit for it twice. No. Uh, <laughs> nice. But also, oh, okay. I think the thing I did like was uh, getting some Willem Dafoe. Uh, I think he he looks to be being set up as the most fun thing about the film, so hopefully that will hold true. I did get Wonder Woman vibes from this, and I think that's a good thing. In a, in a very in a different aesthetic I'm pleased for way. you that you got I've, Wonder Woman vibes from this. I've not seen the trailer, but is that because they've basically gone back and shoehorned in a load of humour? Uh no, I don't. I I doubt it's been shoehorned in. Actually, I think. I think probably James Wan has known what he was doing with this movie for a long time. Uh, and uh, so the Wonder Woman vibes were more, there was people fighting on a beach and there was like <laughs> Will- Willem Dafoe doing his um, trainee stuff the same way that Robin Wright had been doing it. And uh, admittedly, that was about it. But I, d- I just, I did for a couple of seconds go, oh yeah, this this does feel at least like it came from the same studio who made that movie. Um, I do think that just because Marvel can do that face de-aging thing in flashback scenes, it doesn't mean that, that DC have to do it as well, because the shots we got of, of a de-aged Tamura Morrison um, as as his dad in the, in the flashback scene with Nicole Kidman when he's a baby, that did not look good. That looked uh, right. very plasticky. <laughs> can I ask, um, um, Seb, um, has Aquaman ever had a, an animal sidekick of any kind? 
Uh, that's a good question. I don't know whether he specifically had like a you know a named companion. I'm sure he must have had like a dolphin companion or something at some point. Um, but I I don't know. I I'm I'm really not familiar enough with with Aquaman lore. I have to say. Uh, right. I, I mean, is anyone apart from maybe Jeff Johns? I'm, God knows. I'm not sure. I'm really hoping that there's a there's a <laughs> there's a little spot for an animal sidekick in the movie. I mean, you'd think they've got to play up the... I mean, in all seriousness, I think if you're doing Aquaman, you've got to do something with the telepathy thing. And If and he can talk to fish, you've that. got to have him talking to fish. Yeah. And the fish presumably talking back. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose Ant-Man can, talk to, can uh, command ants without the ants talking back, so therefore the uh, Aquaman can talk to fish without the fish talking back. Are we in for another tragic Anthony-style moment with some kind of fish? I would think almost certainly, wouldn't you? Uh, well, he's going to be riding around seahorses in this movie, so I don't know. Maybe you need to worry about. Yeah, I bet horses. one of them. I bet one of them gets it. Yeah, how do we I, there'll, there'll be some manly, really not very big. And also, if Aquaman cries underwater, how can you tell? <laughs> I'm very interested to see how this movie does. Um, in December, we've it's... got Aquaman out on the. Thir- this is the US release schedule, but. Aquaman comes out on the 13th, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse comes out on the 14th, Bumblebee comes out on the 21st, Mary Poppins Returns comes out on the 19th, and... And Mortal Engines. Yes, and and last year you had... You obviously had Star Wars dominating, but Jumanji and The Great Showman did end up being able to make a lot of money behind. I, If I had to guess, Mary Poppins is this year's Star Wars. Yeah, for and, sure. And it's which of the other... Can, can, can I do, can I make can a bold prediction? Can we do bold prediction corner? Yeah, Aquaman's going to make less than Venom worldwide. <laughs> but Venom's done very yeah, well. I exactly. You, oh, no, I, I mean that's, that, right. that's me saying as much about the surprising success of Venom. But I, I don't <laughs> think Aquaman will make as much as Venom. And uh, and I think it's going to be Mary Poppins first and Spider Man second. You know, here like here, I think I'm right in saying that Mortal Engine, Spider Man, and um, Oh god, what's the other one? What's the other one we were just talking about? Aquaman. <laughs> yes, sorry. <laughs> sorry, let me say that again. Um, no, yeah, we're leaving I, that in. <laughs> I think uh, if you can believe it, here um, Aquaman, Mary Poppins, and oh, for fuck's sake, Spider Man. Start again. Mortal Engines. If you can believe this, Mortal Engines, Spider Man, and Aquaman are all opening on the same weekend here. I think I'm right in saying that. Yeah, so it's going to be a, quite the quite the weekend that weekend. Well, we know just from our podcast uh, scheduling that we looked at that and went, "Oh God, Spider Man comes out two days before Aquaman. How do we how do we do this? Because we definitely want to cover them both, but it's also Christmas." Um, okay, let's um, let's go get into the uh, comic book movie uh, and TV news proper, and let's start off with Once Upon a Deadpool. Which is happening. Uh, I think we'd known for a couple of weeks that it was an actual thing that was happening. Um, rather than just a rumour and a date that Fox had put on the schedule. Um, it's like a one day thing, isn't it, guys? Is that, am I right in thinking? It's going to cinemas for one day and then it will presumably get an enormous home release push. Can you, I, I'm actually not that clear on what it is, other than the fact that it's going to be in cinemas for one day. Is it a full movie? So it is Deadpool 2, um, and Deadpool 2 is being recut down to a PG-13 version and will be um, 
framed, there will be a framing device in which Deadpool tells the story of Deadpool 2 to Fred Savage, who has been kidnapped and put in a bed uh, to recreate the, the framing device from Princess Bride. I've, I've got... uh, I, I'm going to say too soon. Given, well, yeah, given, think, that, given that William Goldman's just died. That was well, one of two things I was going to say is, yeah, slightly <laughs> awkward timing given... I mean, that's not their fault, but slightly awkward timing given uh, we, the passing of William Goldman. Well, very strange that the trailer for this debuted and within about 48 hours, both Stanley and William Goldman had passed away. It was... I mean, I'm not saying the two things are connected. Um, Man, that is a hell of a coincidence, though. Can, yeah. we, can we spotlight the most ludicrous thing about this whole uh, endeavour? Which is that in the UK, this has exactly the same certificate as Deadpool Two had. <laughs> oh, really? So in the UK, yeah, it's fifteen, and 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 Deadpool Two was a fifteen. Um, I don't know why. I mean, because what they've sold it on in the US is we've cut out all the swearing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, in the UK, the violence that whatever violence they've left in is still enough f- for it to warrant a fifteen. Um, so you've got these trailers and you've got these trailers going on about how it's family friendly and PG-13 and all of that and it's like, nope, still a 15 as far as the BBFC are concerned um, I I almost want to believe that that is the BBFC deliberately trolling them for doing it mm-hmm. uh, it won't be, obviously but no. uh, yeah, I just think I mean, that's just that's just ludicrous, isn't it? If you've, if you've not managed to cut it to such an extent that it actually I know that obviously a PG-13 is different from a UK PG uh, how they they rate them is is different here with over there, and you could pick up loads of examples of inconsistencies in in film certifications. But th- I mean, the fact that it actually renders the entire purpose of the of the exercise well, <laughs> non-existent I, in this mm, country is um, is that the purpose? I think the purpose of the exercise here is let's make more money out of Deadpool two. In the US, if they're choosing to market that as, hey, it's a PG-13 version now, great. And in the UK, presumably they will... Because if they'd have wanted to, they could have made the edits in the UK and resubmitted until it got down to a, to a 12. They've if, if, that's, if it's passed at 15, they've made the decision not to. So I imagine in the UK that what they are selling this is um, like a, a, a Christmassy... Recutting Christmas of Deadpool, almost Deadpool. like a, yeah, a, a special edition Christmas version of Deadpool. Um, I noted that um, in the trailer as well, they used the um, Home Alone music, uh, right? Really, kind of because actually that's the thing, right? They've done this Princess Bride framing. Princess Bride's not a Christmas movie, though, is no. it? They've they framed it as a Christmas movie, but the Princess Bride thing is really just obviously a gimmick to do the Once Upon a Time thing. But they've had to use music from a completely different Christmas film in order to give the trailer a Christmassy feel. <laughs> also, Fred Savage got old, man. <laughs> have you just have you just spotted this? <laughs> No, but like even in like Austin Powers, like he looked like I mean, okay, Austin Powers, God, that was nearly twenty yeah. years ago, wasn't it? Uh but you know, he did look like Fred. I suppose, yeah, Austin Powers was only like ten years after the Princess Bride and, and now we're twenty years after that. Still, I just yeah. <laughs> but I think I well, I, I Fred Savage feels like he's I know he was he was doing a lot of directing for a while, wasn't he? he he's well, and I think still is, has directed a lot of sitcoms on TV, but in the last couple of years, he started to do a bit more stuff himself. He was in uh, The Grinder, which was the Rob Lowe sitcom. Um, he was in Super Troopers 2 this year. He was in Friends from College, which was the Netflix um, Nick, like- Stoll- Nick Stoller show. So he has he has resurfaced, and yes, he is 
But like uh, Ben Ben Savage, he's a forty like, odd year old man now. But but when Ben Savage turned up in in Girl Meets World, like okay, he was a bit rounder, but he still pretty much kind of Paul Rudded it in terms of wow, this looks exactly like the same guy who was on the show in the nineties. Fred, Fred Savage, I think, has has aged worse than his brother, despite oh, originally being the more famous one. <laughs> I think he I think he still looks. You you I think you look at that bed and you still know. All oh, right, that is that's Fred Savage right yeah. there. I mean, I'm being a bit cruel. What I will say is, it is always nice to see either Fred Savage or Ben Savage turn up in in anything, really. Um, you know. Yeah, I, I, and I mean, I I don't know if if you're on the same page as me, uh, Seb. I adored the Wonder Years, so uh, anytime I see Fred Savage in something, I do kind of just go, Ah, oh, there he is. I there's, actually, I actually never really Kevin got into Arnold. the Wonder Years, but I did love Boy Meets World. So, <laughs> right, I, uh, there we go. I love the Wonder Years and never watched Boy Meets World. Boy Meets there World. We we're, we're, we're drawing our savage lines here. Um, <laughs> I will say this: uh, as someone who was entirely skeptical of the endeavor, I chuckled twice watching the Once Upon a Deadpool trailer. Um, I I thought the I thought the Fred Savage gag at the end about. This is just a pet. You're not proper Marvel. You're Marvel through Fox, which is just a pale imitation. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was funny, and also I thought it was funny that like Fox are now at the point that they will just let they will just let D- Deadpool make that joke in the tra- in the marketing material for a movie, uh, whilst they wring out the last drops of cash from this franchise before it makes its way over to Disney. Uh, so yeah, uh, I, I mean. I can see myself watching this. Uh, it's probably the only way I'm going going to rewatch Deadpool too. Um, but yeah, put some Fred Savage in it. I'm keen. Uh, let's move on then uh, to our next piece of news, uh, and that is that Lo- the Loki series that was uh, rumored to be in consideration for Disney Plus is the one series that has been confirmed for Disney Plus. Uh, so they've also announced like a Star Wars show, but pff. Matt, do you like Star Wars? I do, yes. Okay, well, we're not going to talk about it because we don't. Um, <laughs> this is a Star Wars show. Uh, they're doing lots of stuff. Disney Plus is that is going to be the name of the platform. It's going to aim to take down Netflix. Um, and given the amount of content that's going to be on there, it's, it's probably got a shout. Uh, but yeah, the Loki series has been confirmed. So nothing on all of the others that we talked about previously having been in development. Uh, guys, what do you reckon? Um, this is Tom Hiddleston doing Loki for TV. <clears throat> it's it's going to be interesting. And as we as we said at the time... It's going to be overseen by Marvel Studios, so it's going to be Kevin Feige looking after all of this stuff. I I would love to know the contractual negotiation that went into this, because it must be they must be hurling money at Hiddleston to do this. Yeah. Or or do you think he was kind of signed up for an indefinite other mm. Marvel project, and they're going and they basically said to him, "Look, we killed you off in the movies, so you're not doing any more movies, but you do have you do owe us like you know three more projects, so." We'll call it this series, and that and that'll be it, or something like that. I kind of doubt it, based on when Hiddleston signed his contract. So he would have signed up with Chris Hemsworth back when they did the first Thor movie, and what he's done four yeah, movies since they, then. They would have mi- renegotiated, though, wouldn't they? Like like Hemsworth presumably only, has. They only would if have... it was only if it was running out. I, I mean, because 
they probably would have known for a while how much Loki they wanted to use. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like they've gone to him and said, we've got this idea. We'll pay you X amount. Will you do it? Um, and and presumably that pot of money has gone around to various other people around the uh, around the MCU as well. But yeah, because have they? They haven't. Am I right in thinking they haven't confirmed any of the others, but they're all rumored, like Scarlet no, this, Witch and stuff like that. Yeah, Scarlet Witch, uh, Bucky and Falcon. Uh, there was there's rumors about a Hawkeye one, but um, nothing solid there. And there was one other one, wasn't there, Seth? I don't know. <laughs> oh, so they haven't. Nice. So they ha- they haven't confirmed Bucky and Falcon. I thought they'd confirmed that one. No, that. But the it's new, just the, the most heavily rumored one, isn't it? That, and that was right. the room. That rumor came out kind of very shortly before the big Disney Plus announcement, where they went, "Hey, we're making a Loki show. Hey, we're making a. Uh, oh God, what was it? The the Diego Luna character from Rogue One. Uh, we're making. <laughs> oh a God, show. yeah." Yeah, we're making these, sh- and they've got and the Mandalorian, the other Star Wars show is mm. uh, the the bounty hunter show that they're making. Um, so, given they're making two Star Wars shows, I wouldn't be surprised if this is just the first officially announced one. But I do wonder whether maybe Marvel want to they they want to kind of dip their toes in the water here and see how it's received, see how see whether their magic touch extends to TV uh, because <laughs> they get they. It's another one of those, isn't it? You don't want it to be another Agent Coulson. No, we just killed him off in a movie, but here's the TV show. There's got to be a very compelling reason for bringing Loki back. Well, and Loki, Loki was... He was dead. Well, you know, one thing One thing they could do is... I mean, you know, the MCU loves its origin stories. And, and while Thor gave us a reasonably clear look at Loki's flip from selfish dick to megalomaniacal dick, well, we still don't know how he became a dick. In the comics, the miniseries The Trials of Loki, written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa of Riverdale and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina fame, gave us the chance to see that happen in real time. This, this story could be a prequel, revisiting Thor and Loki's earlier years. And specifically, as in the comics, why it is that Asgardians loathe Loki almost as much as they love Thor. Um, for more on this subject, you can read an article on denofgeek.com by somebody called James Hunt, uh, <laughs> who I just quoted there. Uh, James has actually gone through and suggested uh, how several previous Loki comics could provide inspiration, mm. uh, including Journey into Mystery. Uh, well, Journey, Asgard, it, and, Journey and into Mystery could be a prequel. Am I right in thinking that Journey into Mystery was the one that we talked about? Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's the Kieran Gillen Kid Loki yeah. one. Yeah. And that's when we were on... So uh, when we watched Thor Ragnarok, we all kind of said, it felt like Loki's... This version of Loki was coming to an end, but could they flip and do like a twist on him next? Mm. But we all kind of did expect him to die, so we couldn't... It felt like they were almost setting him up to do something different with him, but we were also maybe- expecting him to die. So maybe this is... But they have the, they have confirmed that it's Hiddleston, haven't they? It's not yes. just it's not no, they haven't just confirmed that it's a Loki show. They have confirmed that it's him. So so we're not looking at a kid Loki type situation. I was just going to say maybe they'll unless. maybe they'll have Hiddleston in, kill him off like straight away, and then and then have him kind of resurrected as kid or, Loki. Or or you do kid Loki, and kid Loki is haunted by visions of his previous self. Yeah, uh, which 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 happens in Journey into Mystery. So that's how you get Hiddleston in there. But that would work perfectly then, wouldn't it? Younger Loki who's trying to shake off what the previous version was the only i think the only reason that that potentially doesn't work is mcu loki is the events of avengers notwithstanding mcu loki is much closer to the morally ambiguous loki that we've had in the years since 
Um, whereas the point about Journey into Mystery was that Kid Loki was trying to escape an unequivocally bad Loki self. So I, I don't think it really works with... I, you know, a version of me died that was really bad and evil, and now I'm trying to be better because that's not how people see Hiddleston's Loki. And Hiddleston's Loki pretty much sacrificed himself um, in Infinity War to to help other people. So it's yeah. you know, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'd say I'm not especially interested in seeing it, but having said that, I watch all the superhero shows, including like you know Titans and Cloak and Dagger and stuff like that. The only one I haven't watched is uh, Inhumans, and I've seen at least. I have seen at least like four episodes of that. <laughs> wow! Um, but I've watched. I have. Yeah. <laughs> but I've watched all the others, uh, including every every season of Agent of Shield. Agents of Shield. Yeah. I mean, so, I, so who am I kidding? I'm going to watch Loki. Whatever <laughs> happens, basically. I mean, I'm I'm going to watch it because because it's coming from Marvel Studios and their track record is very good. Uh, I trust that they will have a compelling reason to bring Loki back. Certainly more compelling than what marvel tv came up with for agent coulson um yeah uh, i mean I steps right they don't have to bring him back they could they could just set it before thor or something i don't know yes absolutely but then but then uh, similarly what's the compelling reason for a story being told then what is yeah what is the part of loki's story that we are desperate to know more about no i'm sorry i'm sorry this is this is a, a tom hiddleston loki series you don't need a compelling storytelling reason to do it you need the guy wants to do it and people want to see more of him mm. <laughs> that's that's your reason for doing it how well is he going to work without thor i Depends kind of if think you're other work. people to bounce off yeah i wouldn't i would not be surprised so i saw uh Jamie Alexander tweeted something about this, uh, like, or I think just after it was announced, kind of tweeted a picture of her in, in her Lady Sif garb. And I do wonder whether you kind of looked some other minor MCU characters. I mean, maybe you set it in some kind of afterlife, like Valhalla kind of realm, and you've got the Warriors three there. I don't know. Well, she's done. She's got form, hasn't she, Jamie Alexander? Because she was in Agents of Shield as Sif, so so yes. that would be a good link. Also, she if she they wasn't killed off. So if it was in the afterlife, you'd have to kill her first. <laughs> yeah, although as we as we said at the time, she was killed. She was not killed off because she wasn't available that day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Conspicuous by her absence, wasn't she in uh, in Thor Ragnarok? Yeah, and um, and has do you know? Do we know if she's if she's supposed to appear in the um, in Avengers Four? I highly doubt it. Um, I, I, the only reason she didn't appear and why she hasn't kept turning up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is because she got a successful TV show of her own. Um, so she doesn't... I don't mean she really needed it at that time. Um, yeah, I'd be surprised, but I, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Right, okay. Uh, yeah, so that is the Loki series coming to Disney+, Plus, and I imagine a year from now we'll probably all be Disney Plus subscribers signing up to worship the mouse. Um, we'll move on to our final piece of news, which is Lex Luthor. Seb, I imagine <laughs> the grin on your face when this was announced. John Cryer has been cast as Lex Luthor. Fucking Seb, amazing. Seb, you can tell our listeners, particularly why for you, this was amazing news. 
Uh, I mean, yeah, if there's anyone who doesn't know, uh, John Cryer played Lex's nephew, Lenny Luthor, in <laughs> Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, uh, a film that is that is very dear to my heart and, and for, for reasons I have been spending a lot of time uh, thinking about and reading about and, and researching about over the last few months. Um, so... Yes, uh, that's an inspired piece of casting. Um, I love that he uh, he took to Twitter when the news was announced to say that his going bald had finally paid off, or, or something was, was how he put it. Um, yeah, it's just it's just fun. It's just you know, I mean, I I feel bad that I you know I'm I'm not kind of up to date with this stuff because you know when I see that the shows are doing stuff like that, um, just as when you know when when Supergirl originally cast Dean Kane and Helen Slater in in the first season. Um, it's just it's a nice way to show that little bit of of respect for the for the previous heritage um you know but without necessarily to the detriment of the show because you know, it's not like John Cryer hasn't acted since the 80s you know he he starred in yeah. the most successful sitcom in the US so you know he's a known face as well i've no idea what he'll be like as lex i um, kind of think he's a good fit for an arrowverse lex luthor because yeah i mean i, I, I can th- see it working yeah it, yeah me it, too in his comedy he's always well in two and a half men he and and ducky to an extent there's that underlying kind of anger and frustration in his performances um and you see him kind of lose his rag a lot um and i can imagine i i think a, a lex in this universe who has that but also has i that that can that can play the silly side as well when needed this is a, this is of course a universe that the first season of which the villain was john barrowman so <laughs> To go from John Barrowman to John Cryer over the course of six or seven years doesn't doesn't feel like a huge leap, and I th- I think John Cryer's pretty perfect for this. It also feels I know the ne- ever, for the for the past decade it feels like any time the word Lex Luthor Lex Luthor is said out loud, someone goes oh Brian Cranston, and it it feels a little bit like John Cryer post Two and a Half Men. Maybe this can be his Breaking Bad. Small point of order. Um, technically, there's a different universe. Supergirl's set in a different universe to the Arrowverse, although obviously oh, it's all the Arrowverse. It's the it's the it's the Ar- same story. It's the, it's the Arrowverse multiverse. The Flaro multiverse. <laughs> yeah. 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 I tell you, I tell you who else. I, I think, I think it, it would be nice to see. You know, when you, when you're looking at those nods to the past, worked in as uh, potentially another member of the Luther family, actually, just because of what he looks like now. But um, Mark McClure, where, where, why not get Mark McClure? Because he was in Supergirl as well as in Superman. I was just looking to see like who was in Supergirl who they could actually bring into um, <laughs> into, into the Supergirl show. Uh, also, Mark when McClure, is Tom... if you look at him now, actually looks a little bit like Gene Hackman. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose he does. Also, when is Tom Welling going to get his due? They've had literally everybody yeah, else from, uh, from yeah, Smallville he, he really in some should. form or another. Yeah. He deserves something. I was hoping they were going to have him as, um, as well. Actually, I thought they were they were going to have him as Superman. Actually, but then mm. they cast, then they cast uh, <laughs> Tyler, whose surname I can't pronounce. Heckling. Heckling. Is it yeah, Heckling? Yeah. yeah. Um, Excellent. I mean, because I saw there was a bit of criticism. Well, there was an article I saw criticizing when they they showed the first promo shot of 
um, Superman and Lois, and they'd done the you know the crystalline uh, Richard Donner esque Fortress of Solitude, and it was the article was suggesting you know that it is just leaning too much on this one interpretation of Superman, and I think. Uh, one, I thought, I thought, I thought the article was coming at it from a wrong angle because I, I think you know that is a very popular. It's not you're not saying that your entire take on Superman is. It's not Superman Returns. You're not just saying your entire take is based on the Donna version. You're just using that bit of iconography to to spark something in in people's minds. And it's the same with the with these cast members. It's you know, uh, here's someone who has this past association with this version of the franchise. It's just fun to have them in it. Also, I think you know the CW stuff has been very good at looking to different versions. Hence why you've had Dean Kane, obviously as a completely different character but you've got Brandon Routh in there um you know I I think actually I think those shows have been good at looking the at the entire history of of DC's live action stuff and and giving those interpretations their due I don't think it's just rooted in the Donna stuff um, also the I mean Smallville took the Donna um Fortress of Solitude stuff as well like the crystals yeah. and and all of that like it's estab- it's effectively established in pop culture I would say well, yeah actually I mean I, I don't think there's ever been a live action fortress of solitude that that doesn't look like that um because obviously the, the superboy tv show was the sulkins as well so that that very much drew on on the same imagery and stuff so i'm not saying it wouldn't be nice to see other visual interpretations because there's lots of stuff in superman's history that you can play with but i also don't think that stuff should be off limits because it's it's what people love it's the version of superman that people love. i always think back to the fact that i remember once having a conversation with a guy at school um who was surprised when I told him that Superman was a comic book character. He thought that the Christopher Reeve Superman movie was the first ever appearance of Superman in anything. <laughs> oh, my God. Amazing. Where was he for the uh, Superman nicotine adverts in the 70s? <laughs> the 80s? Well, he wasn't born. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I haven't watched all of Krypton either. I've watched I've watched uh, the pilot. And I like the pilot a lot, actually, but I haven't watched the rest of it yet. So, Matt, here's what I, d- I did after a while. I... I tried to watch all of the superhero shows and then there's just so many of them and then i just I, I kind of like a light bulb went off and i went oh i don't have to <laughs> yeah i was uh, i mean i've been writing about i, I was recapping um arrow and legends of tomorrow oh, if someone's several, paying for, you matt absolutely for <laughs> yeah but that's but that's but i'm just saying like that's not happening anymore so so yeah that i did have that thought actually do i still have to watch this you know, I could just stop watching and maybe watch if it gets good. But yeah, so far I'm still watching. Uh, Matt, we'll get you back on to discuss Pennyworth next year. Lovely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't, okay. I don't watch Gotham either. I knew there was another one. Yeah. <laughs> Oof, I mean, s- some sanity. Um, we we don't talk about Gotham. <laughs> or at least we haven't for a long time. Four um, Alfreds, Joe. Four. Yeah. Four, Four- Alfreds? This was what I realised on our, on our last minisode, which we've only actually just released the night that that we're, we're recording this. Um, that um, as of the the casting in Pennyworth, um, there are now oh, and the fact that the fact that there's one in Joker, there are currently four official live action Alfred Pennyworths. Uh, the there's one time. more then because there's uh, they've got one in Titans. You've only heard him on the oh, phone so God, far, but he's really? but he's, he's in there's there. Yeah, five Alfreds. <laughs> oh my we, God. We haven't we haven't seen him yet, but we've heard his voice on the phone. The problem is that that ruins my my quoting slash um, paraphrasing of Peep Show uh, with the four nans, Jeremy. But also, as I said <laughs> as I said last time. I love Alfred Pennyworth, and I will still acknowledge that you only ever need one at any given time. You certainly don't need five. Wow, five. 
five Alfreds. Well, to be fair, they could be using one of the existing Alfreds. I don't know. I didn't well, check true, who the voice was. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's Jeremy's iron. If there is a CW Alfred, right. then then perhaps it's him. Oh no, it's not the CW, is it? Titans, it's something else. No, there could it's be. There could yet, we could yet get a CW Alfred because you know oh. we're getting Batwoman and yeah, um, Elseworlds. Yeah. Oh, almost certainly. Yeah. yeah, there is no. There is a. Um, it's DC DC TV, isn't it, or something? Uh, so they could. Universe, so they yeah. could be using. Yeah. They could be using one. One of the existing Alfreds. We never know. Yeah, and also Elseworlds, the the TV spots that they've put out for that crossover event, they're talking about Batman. They're talking about Batman and Batman not being around. And yeah. in this and in this alternate universe, Batman's been missing for three years. So. Yeah, the chance of an Alfred I would put, you know, make 50-50. Oh, 70-30. Alfred. <laughs> I mean, almost. Uh, if you're going to have a character from Batman, it's going to be Batman, and it's going to be Alfred, and it's going to be um, Commissioner Gordon, isn't it, basically? Yeah. And there was a, there was an Alfred in um, Lego Batman as well, and that franchise is still live. Yeah, that's not live action. <laughs> okay. And if, I mean, if you go, you could get into animated, and you could get into games. Let's not. I mean, it's it's the ludicrousness of multiple live action. I think that really. You know, I want an I want an Alfred crossover. That's what I want. Um, okay, that's it for this week's comic book movie uh, and TV news. We'll move on now to our spoiler filled discussion of the Rocketeer. So let's take a listen to a little bit of that movie, and we'll be back with our discussion in just a second. To some, it was the fulfillment of a dream. To others, it was an instrument of destruction. A creation that could change the course of history. It was stolen from my factory. Where's the package? This is the FBI! What do we tell the president? Tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. It's a rocket. A rocket? Ow! What? What's the matter? I don't know. There's something under the seat. Oh, my. What are you doing here? What are you supposed to do? Is it a bomb or something? No. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. Stand clear. What was that? Are you trying to kill yourself? I like it. Uh oh, we got company. You steer, I'll push. You what? I will not rocket, Eddie. Not next week, not tomorrow. Now. Keep your eyes open for this dame. Jenny's in trouble. They're working for a Nazi agent. With an army equipped with these, you could rule the world. Cliff! You touch one hair on her head, I swear out. <laughs> Shoot him! We've got the girl. The rocket will come to us. I love her, Peeve. Does she know that? She's gonna find out. Let him have it! Hand over the rocket! Go get him, kid. Okay, guys, uh, let's talk about the Rocketeer. Um, 
I think it would be good for us all to talk about our experiences with the movie before we get going, because Seb and Matt, I know you've you've kind of, uh, as you both already implied, got a history with this film. Uh, but I'll kick us off because um, I had never seen The Rocketeer before, <gasps> and I'm sure lots of people, especially listeners to this podcast, will be surprised because I eulogise about. Captain America, the first Avenger. And yeah, that's the reason was, I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was Joe, Joe Johnston's comic book movie that preceded it. Um, so I have, I have good reason for not seeing it at the time. Um, this movie was released in the UK 12 days before my second birthday. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I wasn't really in a good frame to be watching it in cinemas at the time. Uh, can I just interject and say it was released one day after my 20th birthday? <laughs> uh, you make me feel very old, you bastard. <laughs> on, when, so that... when in the year was it? So Okay, so, so June 91, so I was uh, I was eight. No, 2nd August 91 in the UK. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was still eight. I, my birthday's end of November, so... There we go. We've got we've got literal decades separating us. Yeah. Um... <laughs> um <laughs> So yeah, I, I I didn't see it then, and do you know what? I probably was was not really aware of this movie until until I started writing about film. So probably when I was nineteen twenty, didn't really know much about it before then, and probably Matt from seeing the icon on your Twitter feed. To be honest, that's probably that's probably where I saw the Rocketeer for the first time. And I kind of I was aware it existed and didn't and and kind of went oh, I'll get around to watching that, and then when we got around to the podcast as I as I have done with a couple of the films that are like holes in my superhero comic book movie back catalogue I've kind of, I've kind of gone do you know what I'm going to hold off on that movie until we get to it on the podcast. So for the past three and a half years I have been intentionally not watching this because. Actually, uh, it feels like Disney have given it a little bit of a push again. It's it's come out in nice um, in a nice new Blu-ray set in the UK recently. Uh, they've repackaged it, and it seems like this is one of their like archive films that they kind of want to go. Oh, oh, hey, actually, no, you know, this still lines up with all our values. Let's uh, let's push this back out there, and um, it's a fun little movie, but. Uh, Matt, tell us tell us about why you wanted why you wanted to talk about this. You said you saw it twenty one times. No, um, I saw it. I saw it oh, over 50, fifty sorry, times. Yeah, fifty times. Um, I was at uh, Sussex University in nineteen ninety one, and I was I had a job. Uh, I had a couple of jobs. I had a job at a bookshop. Oh, where in, in, interestingly, um, no, well, <laughs> I met uh, the writer of Mortal Engines. I is uh, a great friend of mine because I met him whilst working at a bookshop at the same time, basically in 1991. Wow! Um, but I, uh, but yeah, so I was working at the, the, the Bright Node in 1991, and part of the job back then was you. I mean, I don't think they do this now, but as an usher, you basically got to choose which film you you sat in, and you sat through the entire movie. You could watch the entire movie. So there are a whole bunch of films in 1991 that I saw multiple times. And like so, like the commitments I must have seen over fifty times, and 
uh, Silence of the Lambs and and the rock, and Dances with Wolves, in fact, because obviously that was a great dance, like three hours of Dances <laughs> with Wolves, just getting paid for to sit and watch Dances with Wolves for three hours over and over again. So I can even I can quote all the Indian dialogue of Dances with Wolves. That's my claim to fame wow. because of that. Um, so yeah, so the Rocketeer and I just sort of fell in love with it at that point, um, and yeah, watched it over and over again at work, and um, I just I mean I love everything about it really. Uh, so, so that was my, I didn't read the graphic novel until quite a bit later. Um, I'm just looking at my copy of it now and it's got a sticker on the back that says 2002 on it, but I'm pretty sure I read it before then. Um, but anyway, so I read, yeah, I read the, so I wasn't aware of the graphic novel before I saw the movie. Um, and I sought it out kind of later on. Uh, and I love the graphic novel too, but actually, unusually, I think the movie is a much better story than the graphic novel is that's very interesting we'll definitely dig into that as we uh as we go through seb you you similarly saw this at cinemas right i'm actually trying to recall if i actually saw it at the cinema or on video afterwards i know i definitely saw it re- relatively close to its release whether it was uh at home or at the cinema and the reason that i can most specifically remember that is that I liked it enough, and certainly I liked the character and the concept enough, that I made my own Rocketeer action figure by making a helmet out of cardboard and putting it on a Peter Venkman Kenner real <laughs> Ghostbusters figure that I had. Because he had like this kind of brown jumpsuit outfit that was that to me was close enough that by that by putting a helmet on him I, I could make him the rocketeer. Oh also of course he had a backpack because he was he was a Ghostbuster, so that probably factored into it as well. No. Um so it it must have been yeah, I mean I'll say I when the film came out I was probably eight. I, I I do remember cinema trips like around kind of 91, 92 um, for things like, I think, did Death Becomes Her come out in 92? Because I remember seeing the trailer for Jurassic Something Park around that. there, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I saw Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey at the pitch. I think it was Adam's Family 91. It was, wasn't it? So yeah, I, definitely, I think so. We definitely went to see Adam's Family and I remember that cinema trip, but I don't remember a trip for The Rocketeer, so it might be that we saw it on video sometime in 92 instead. But, um, I, you know, I remember enjoying it at the time. There's quite a lot that I, I specifically remember. I can't recall if I'd actually sat down and watched it all the way through in the years since, yet there are definitely moments and lines, um, and particularly stuff like what goes on with the gum on the backpack, and um, even some of uh, Timothy Dalton's lines, especially towards the end, I quite specifically remembered. So um, it may be that I've seen it since, or it may just be that you know I did quite profoundly remember the sort of the last 20 minutes or so of the film from, from when I first saw it. Well, it's odd because because my you know as a film critic, I obviously see like probably around five hundred ish between four hundred and fifty and five hundred movies a year, basically as part of the job alone. And I my memory is not good for a lot of stuff. Like I do this, I, we do our own podcast, the um, the Fatal Attractions podcast about erotic thrillers from the nineties. And I've seen all of those movies. I saw all of those movies in the nineties. Things like Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, you know, Single White Female, things like that. And I and I very rarely remember anything except the kind of key scenes. But this, obviously, because I saw this 50-something times, I remembered almost all of it. And, it, and and I haven't actually... I don't think I've actually watched it. Because I didn't own the DVD, I don't think I've actually watched it in maybe, you know, 30 years or something. Well, 30 years. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> close 25 years, let's say, at least. I don't think I've seen it. I've not really, I don't remember watching it on, re-watching it on TV or anything like that. And yet so much of it just kind of, kind of came flooding back in a way that I'm not really used to that happening with other, with other movies. It's funny, sometimes um, you need to do that with like favorite films you 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 kind of remember like 
I love this movie. I will recommend this movie to anyone who asks me. Um, and then you'll kind of go, oh, do you know what? I haven't, I haven't watched that in like five, five, ten, fifteen years, and you, you end up, you go back and you revisit, and and sometimes it's that terrifying thing of, oh god, I've been saying I love this movie for so long, <laughs> and really it was the I don't know the seventeen year old version of me that likes that movie, or it was it was a very specific Joe at a very specific time who likes that movie. Um, well. I mean, I, yeah, actually, I'm really happy to say that, again, I owe you two a, thank, uh, a vote of thanks for inviting me to do this because I wouldn't have rewatched it without you. And actually, I was prepared to say, I was prepared to come on and say, yeah, you know what? Like, yes, OK, it's a big, it was a big part of my life and I'm a big fan of it. But at the same time, I'm the first to to kind of say that it's it's not a great movie. And I mean, I do have some problems with it, which I want to go through, like, you know, later on. But I was. I remember being disappointed by the climax and by certain other points of it. And and while one part of it still do, is still really annoying to me, the um, the climax is pretty damn great. And uh, so I want to kind of you know take back my initial kind of not. My initial kind of impression was that it was bad, and and it it's not. It works really well. I always I've still got some when, problems, but you know. I love on the podcast when when someone says I have one problem with it or one problem that I want to talk about later, and I'm like. Oh, me too. I wonder if it's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've we, got a list. I've got a, a list of problems, but then, but then, <laughs> but you know, we'll get we'll get to those. Um, but, I so yeah. Obviously, I hadn't seen this before, and and we should probably actually for anyone listening who isn't overly familiar with the Rocketeer. In fact, Matt, do you want to explain the the basic concept, premise, plot of the Rocketeer? To any of our listeners who might not be familiar with the movie, yes, okay. So uh, Bill Campbell plays. Um, he's, he's, is he? I'm sorry. Is he billed as Billy or or William he's or Billy? I think Billy. he was Billy. He was, well, I think he's billed as Bill here. Oh, is he? He oh. was as it, IMDb says as Bill Campbell. Ah, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, actually, quick question before I do that. Uh, the titles changed from The Rocketeer to Rocketeer. Does yeah, anyone know no when, idea. That, when that happened or why mm. that happened? No, no idea. When, when you say the titles changed, where where is it? On IMDb. How yeah, and on the and on the movie, it's uh, on the DVD I bought. It's it's Rocketeer. At least on the cover, it is. I didn't. Sit, I didn't. They, I was, well, have they based that on because that that poster, the poster that is your avatar, uh, which I was reading about. Apparently, they that like that poster was off putting to people, and they actually did another poster with the film's stars on it. That just says Rocketeer, but I've always known the film as the Rocketeer. I can't remember what it says on screen. You can um, find um, and the images. Comic is definitely called the Rocketeer, isn't it? Yeah. And no, that poster that you're talking about does have. There are versions of it that say the Rocketeer. Ah. And actually, yeah, just looking at the cover of the soundtrack says that it has the above that logo as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's IMDb. You can't trust IMDb. IMDb said Norman Lovett was going to play Davros. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the reason I anyway. remember that one is because it was my mate who put that on there. Um, okay, so Bill Campbell plays Cliff Secord. He's a, a pilot, and um, some gangsters or shadowy figures have stolen a mysterious package from uh, Howard Hughes, and they crash, uh, or they they hide in his kind of air, aircraft hangar, and it's um, they stash something in his plane, which which Cliff later finds, and it's it's a rocket pack basically. And it turns out that uh, various factions like the FBI and a Nazi spy 
and what have you are after this rocket pack and uh, I guess that's it. Do, you need, do we need more than that? <laughs> Well, the villain is is um, Timothy Dalton, who is a Neryl Flynn. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You see, that's what I mean. Like, do we just well, leave I mean, that? Just leave it at that. This is our spoiler-filled discussion. I yeah. think we'll be okay. No, I was just making right, a joke fine. about the fact okay. that it's a, it's a reveal in inverted commas in the film yeah. because it's not really surprising from the moment he first shows up on screen. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a sort of conceited Errol Flynn-style actor. Um, Played called Neville Sinclair, and but clearly based on on not just on Errol Flynn because of the swashbuckling, but also because of the Nazi rumours yeah. um, about um, Errol Flynn, which um, Karina Longworth has done a, a great podcast on. On uh, uh, you must remember this, uh, which goes into a lot of detail about that. And um, yeah, so so and Cliff has a girlfriend um, called Jenny, uh, played by Jennifer Connolly, who's basically never been sexier. And uh, and so she's kind of not exactly torn, but she wants to be an actress and she wants to act opposite Neville Sinclair. And, and the, you know, he realizes that getting her is the key to getting the rocket pack off Cliff and, you know, shenanigans, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I mean, terrible job. Um, I, think, I mean, I think what's probably the, the thing that's worth kind of spotlighting about this, and if, if the description of the plot doesn't give it away, is that this is a 1930s pulp thing. But yes. it's uh, and and going back to the source material, like you you could be forgiven for thinking if someone if so if you watch the Rocketeer and someone tells you it's based on a comic book, you would assume that it's based on a comic book from the 30s or 40s, and that it or you know like a pulp serial, like it's a Flash Gordon type thing. Right. It's more an Indiana Jones type thing because well, uh, the comic didn't exist until the 1980s, and it and the, the comic was a deliberate throwback. When well, the comic, I, went, I actually I wanted to bring that up earlier because um, when you first asked me about my connection to them, I left out like a key detail, which was I was completely obsessed with a with a Republican serial called um, King of the Rocket Men, um, which was made in 1949 but broadcast regularly when I was a kid on Saturday um, on on you know Saturday morning, like you know after Swap Shop or something, they would they would put it on. They would just put like Flash Gordon and and uh, so yeah, so it was a twelve-part serial that ended in a, an incredible cliffhanger every week, and uh, black and white kind of kind of thing like Flash, like the Buster Crab Flash Gordon, and I was completely obsessed with that at the time, and I uh, and loved it, and you know later on bought it, bought it on DVD and stuff like that, uh, but that was my love of King of the Rocket Men was one of the key things that interested me in seeing the Rocketeer in the first place. So when the trailer started appearing. I was really, you know, desperate to see it because of that. I basically assumed it was going to be more or less the same thing, and um, and it is obviously Dave Stevens obviously had those serials as a uh, as a, a base for the uh, graphic novel in the first place, amongst other influences. But that's that's a ma- mm. major part of it. And um, I, I hadn't until kind of going through for a deep dive on Wikipedia, I hadn't quite realised that there were other serials that used the rocket, the same rocket suit, but. King of the Rocket Men was the only one where the character was actually called Rocket Man. They're all called things like Radar Man in the other in the other show in the other serials, which I like. I said I haven't seen, but yeah. So, well, yeah, that's it. It's interesting. In the nineties, it felt like it feels like they for a long time, despite the success of Superman previously and then the success of Batman in eighty nine. It felt like the studios were a lot more comfortable going back to these pulp heroes than they were actually embracing comic books. 
is that fair, Seb? I mean, like, there's a there's a bunch of them. I mean, what was Dick Tracy in the nineteen ninety? And you've yeah. got yeah. the Phantom, um, and you might have to help me out, but I'm sure there are more. Oh yeah, they oh. did the Shadow as well. The Shadow, yeah. Yeah, I wonder is it is it maybe that these were characters that had more of a filmic tradition? Mm. You know that people would recognise as screen characters. So did they maybe feel like safer ground um, than than you know super superhero characters who, with the exception of Superman and Batman, um, hadn't really been done on screen in that way? And maybe that know. you could still kind of sell these pulpy characters as as. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Adult friendly as well. Mm. In a way that superheroes were maybe for kids, I don't know. I mean, and it's also worth bearing in mind, you know, that this is this is coming off the back of the 80s where one of the, the biggest film franchises has been Indiana Jones, which is rooted in that in that pulp tradition so i think i think maybe it's as much a a rush to to do more stuff like that as it is to say well we're going to do comic book characters but let's do the ones that were the pulp rather than the superheroes the back of the dvd even says like in in the proud tradition of indiana jones (laughs) right okay so it was so it's an explicit marketing you know thing for them Mm. yeah um and i will say this about the rocketeer so um, the cards on the table. I, I, I was, I was charmed by the Rocketeer, but without kind of, without kind of going, oh wow, how have I not seen this movie earlier? So I'm probably not gonna like eulogize about it quite as much as you are, Matt. Um, but I did enjoy it, and I think charming is the, is the operative word. It's fun, and it absent, and and it's it's like a real swashbuckling yarn that zips along and. The cast is such such great fun. You've got oh, the cast are amazing. It's got such an incredible cast. So yeah, there, Terry there o- are an awful lot of oh wow, they're in it. Uh, yeah, the one I didn't know, the one I could I could have named most of them before the rewatch, but the one that, that jumped out obviously was character actress Mar- Margot Martindale. Yes, oh, <laughs> wonderful when Margot Martindale shows up. Uh, yeah. But you look you look at the to- just the the top of the IMDb. You've got. 
Um, Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes, uh, that, who is, the one who that surprised is me. absolutely fantastic. He's excellent, isn't he? He's, he's isn't playing he Howard. I mean, I know he's, Howard Stark he's than... is just meant to be Howard Hughes, but he's doing a brilliant Howard Stark years before Dominic Cooper and and um, uh, John Slattery. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I so I, I, I just think he's absolutely Terry wonderful. Quinn. I love Terry that. Quinn from Lost, Obviously. Um, and <laughs> I, I, you know. Long-time listeners will know my borderline obsession with that show, but I, I, I share so- I share your obsession with that show, and uh, and obviously I knew Terry O'Quinn from this, and uh, so it was the other way around for me. But I'm always delighted to see him in anything. I think he's a great what? actor, and I but do. He every is so, so perfect in this. I'll though. pop on an old movie mat, and I'll be like, uh, so I was what? Oh God, what was I watching? Um, I was watching Young Guns a couple of months ago, and he shows up in that, and he's barely recognisable when he had pro- when he properly had hair. Um, and it was about halfway through the movie, I was like, "Who's this guy? I'm really enjoying this before." Oh, it's Terry O'Quinn, and I've done, and I must have done that four or five times. He's a he's a delight any time he turns up in anything. And but yeah, he's here, so perfect in this though. Like he's better than any on screen version of Howard Hughes I've seen, and I've seen a lot of on screen versions of Howard Hughes. I think he might um, be the I think he might be the standout here. I think he's he's just and they're given that great moment at the end of the movie as well, which which still mm. still to this day. I mean, just last night rewatching it gave me goosebumps. You know the 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 moment with the plane right at the end. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a it's a lovely sweet little coda to the movie. Um, but also, I mean, the the one that that struck me that I just had no idea was in this other other than Terry Quinn before going into it was was Alan Arkin. Um, uh, just yeah. Uh, Similarly, I, I great. And, and particularly uh, since Little Miss Sunshine became, you know, one of my favourite films of the last fifteen years or more. Um, so that was, yeah, it's really nice to see him in this as well. He's and wonderful kind of, in this as well. Like he gets yeah. all the, all the, he gets all the, pretty much all the funny lines, doesn't he? The stuff about the, the, you know, we, we, we've got, a, we don't have a house anymore. We've got a gazebo, mm. and how do I look like a hood ornament? You know, all that, all that, all that stuff. He had he, a nice little run at this point in the early nineties. He was in uh, this Edward Scissorhands, Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a nice, nice little, uh, nice little pocket of movies there. He's very much doing the Alan Arkin thing. Yeah, yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah, although he is close to the, um, he sticks pretty close to the the character on the on the page actually. Um, he is recognisably the character on the page in the, in Dave Stevens's graphic novel. But there are, uh, I mean, there are so many other actors like um, John Polito, obviously yeah. from, um, well, for me, from Miller's Crossing, but and um, Paul yes. Sorvino as a, my, Paul my, Sorvino note, my note playing. next to Paul Sorvino, American gangster. Yeah. Eddie Valentine, Paul Sorvino American the exact gangster. Same character that he'd played uh, a year before in Goodfellas, just with a hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there's an actor I love called um, Eddie Jones. Who plays Malcolm, the drunken, um, the drunken pilot that goes up in the in the clown suit yes, that Cliff has to rescue? Yeah. Which, incidentally, uh, well, two things about that. One is uh, that that was a scene that, when watching this, that was another moment that I really vividly remembered. Um, when there were lots of other bits in the film, you know, that almost felt new to me watching it now, but I really vividly remembered that that scene with him as the clown in the play. The other thing, of course, about him is that uh, it, it took me a while to figure out what I knew him from, but Jonathan Kent from Lois and Clark. Oh yeah, oh, really? there you go. Yeah, that yeah. scene is that scene is a great set piece. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's a fantastic scene. It's a really, and that's my. Well, we'll again, we'll get onto it later. But that's one of my problems with the with the movie is that the first half is really great and the second half not so great, and there's a reason for that. 
Um, Let's get going at the cast. Obviously, yeah. Timothy Dalton <laughs> is fantastic. Never Do better, I would say. Oh, I don't. I mean, Timothy Dalton it has been very good on a number of occasions, but. It's no, I think, is, I think Tim Dalton's is my favorite. Better is Hot Fuzz. <laughs> no, I don't think they, I don't think you'd have a Hot Fuzz without him, without him playing Neville Sinclair. <laughs> no, but I think I think he builds on it in Hot Fuzz. So I, right, I, I think Hot maybe Fuzz is, is his finest hour. Um, the big shocker for me, which I didn't obviously didn't twig at the time, um, was Melora Hardin. Yes, that's the one I was going to say. I was like, she turns up as a singer. And yeah, it's like... and and he's amazing. Yeah, but that just and means it's just an incredible a, singer. Because there are bits in the in the office with with Jan and singing, and actually there's a uh, in Threat Level Midnight she plays a club singer. Um, so so her playing a club singer in this was like, oh wow. <laughs> I'm assuming she had some sort of singing career, did she? I mean, I mean, she's not acting in this; she's just singing. Yeah, um, I don't know. Um, I mean, aside from The Office, the main thing I know about Melora Hardin is that she was going to be Jennifer in Back to the Future when it was Eric Stoltz. So oh, she got cast wow. as Jennifer after Eric Stoltz got brought in, and then when they sacked Eric Stoltz and brought back Michael J. Fox, Melora Hardin was too tall to be oh. opposite Michael J. Fox, so they had to sack her and get... Um, uh, oh, uh, that's so harsh. Yeah. Oh, that's so harsh. Um, that does lead us into... Into um, we've got to talk about the soundtrack. The soundtrack is just phenomenal. It is a phenomenal soundtrack. It is my all-time favourite soundtrack. Uh, just like hands down, James Horner does all the. Well, James Horner does the soundtrack, um, but but actually the soundtrack album includes the two uh, Melora Harding songs, which are both lovely. And um, I said, I mean, you've got the to, soundtrack you've got is to get so. The soundtrack is so <laughs> embedded in in my life i guess that i still find myself even though i haven't like put it on and listened to it in ages i still find myself humming the theme to the the rocketeer just randomly walking down the street and stuff like that it's that kind of and still like just the opening bars of it give me goosebumps you know like like the the movie opens effectively with the little kind of twinkly you know bit of that score and it's that's that's enough to kind of make me go you know i I fucking love the soundtrack absolutely (laughs) hands down second i mean Genuinely, like I said, my favourite soundtrack, second favourite, Vertigo. It, so it's better even than that. <laughs> Do you know what? I will say that, that there was something about watching this movie the first half hour um, that it's just... And the, and the music adds to this, the, the, the production design of the whole thing, Joe Johnson's direction. It's just really... It's a comforting kind of movie. You kind of like you kind of sink back in the sofa and go, "Yeah, do you know what? I feel I feel safe watching this film. I feel it's the same that I get. It's the same thing that I get watching Captain America: The First Avenger, where I'm just like, I like, I like this world. I like these these people. I like the, I yeah, I just like the the kind of the ambience that the film is setting and like. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just gonna sit here and let all of this wash over me because it's all really nice, and I the, know that I know that there are Nazis and villainy and there's high stakes and and all that, but I, but it's, but it's kind of like, I just know every, it's like G sucks everything, it sucks everything's gonna be all right in the end. I'm glad you brought up the um, the production design because that is absolutely extraordinary as well. I think just 
incredible that they put that much detail and effort into it. Like it's it's stunning to to look at every frame of this thing. Well, you a lot, start, a you lot start of the, the movie um, watching that plane sequence with the uh, with with the kind of you know is it bright yellow or bright orange the first bright plane? Yellow, yeah, bright yellow and 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 just sailing through the skies. Whilst then this this gangster chase. Um, uh, they reminded me actually of the car chase scene at the start of uh, Public Enemies, Michael Mann's Public Enemies, um, which I'm sure Michael Mann wasn't using Rocketeer as a uh, <laughs> as a as an influence. But um, it, yeah, those kind of styles mashed together is just gorgeous, and the planes are. I'm not a plane guy, uh, but if I was, these would be the planes that I would want to look at. <laughs> these kind of that old old school biplanes, almost. They're just yeah. I mean, I'm also, I'm also not a plane guy, but I, but yeah, I totally agree. Like, it, they, everything, every detail is just so perfect. And apparently, um, Dave Stevens gave them, like, who I think was probably quite closely involved with at least the uh, consulting side of the of the movie. He gave them like a, all his research for the mm. for the um, for the graphic novel. And not really expecting them to use it all, and they basically used every single bit of it. So that bull, that giant bulldog set, a, it was a real cafe, but b, it's it, you know features in the in the graphic novel. So that giant kind of bulldog cafe thing is a, was a real thing. Um, it, it helps as well with the production design that the Rocketeer himself is such a fantastic piece of character design. Like you know, for for something that's only appeared in one film, and actually in relative terms, only really a handful of comics, like. It's so iconic, you know. There's a reason I immediately wanted to go and make my own toy of it, um, and the fact that, and this is something else you probably read on, on the same Wikipedia page, but that that Michael Eisner of Disney wanted to change the helmet so it was more like just a standard astronaut, like a round astronaut helmet, and Joe Johnson threatened to quit, and basically Dave Stevens had to go away and find somebody to make a helmet that was like the one from the comic to convince Disney that it would actually work, um, which it does. It's As I say, it's, it's an iconic design, and it's one of those things where it reminds me a little bit when we were talking about um, Winter Soldier a couple of weeks ago, you know, and, and just being able to work from that base of an incredibly simple but just instantly iconic bit of character design that, that I think, you know, a, a lot of the movie does, does hang on that, which seems like a daft thing to say about a costume, but but I think it's true. Yeah, I mean the the Rocketeer does look like a ready-made action figure. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, that's it, kind of appropriate that the guy playing him is made of plastic. <laughs> I like just, him in just, this, you know. Yeah, I, know I think he's, he's he's the guy who you know has barely done anything yeah. since, and and is really just a bit of a blank cipher for the film. But you know what? I think I was, he does what he has to do in this absolutely yeah. fine. I was just going to say, you can't judge uh, Bill Campbell's performance here on his subsequent career. I think if there'd been any justice, he would have had. He, this would have made him a big star. I think he's fantastic in this. Actually, clearly, he's never been better than this. But I think he's absolutely perfect in in every moment. But there's not, I think I, 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 why did you say he's he's made of plastic? Because he's because uh, um, I, I wanted to poke you both uh, and see how you reacted. Um, no, I, <laughs> I think he's I think he's fine, but I think surrounded by the talent that he is, I think he comes off as very much the bland all-American hero. Um and it's ve- and it's very difficult for me not to not to watch this movie and compare everyone and everything to Captain America the First Avenger. 
And I kind of think what Joe Johnston got in in Captain America is is this truly, truly perfect piece of casting. And here he has I mean, a is guy. It not quite unfair to compare anybody to. Oh no! Him? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but also... here, here he's a guy who is doing his job, and that's fine. And he, I think he's solid. But I think he kind of, any time he's on screen with you know one of Terry O'Quinn, Timothy Dalton, Jennifer Connelly, uh, I'm I'm not paying attention to what Billy Campbell's doing. <laughs> um, again, you have to take every bit of trivia on the IMDb with a pinch of salt but if you if the IMDb trivia can be believed um, the Rocketeer was a key part of getting Joe Johnston the Captain America the first Avenger job because of oh, the, the I, production design work and the you know just the recreation of the period and stuff like that I would be stunned if it wasn't the reason he got that job <laughs> I think I think Disney wanted a safe pair of hands for um, the first Avenger and they they got it in Joe Johnston absolutely but, but that's very heartening that they that Disney you know somebody at Disney clearly somebody high up at Disney clearly slash Marvel clearly also loves the Rocketeer and that's that's happy news for me yeah of course he'd also done um, Honey Asher and the Kids uh, for Disney a couple of years prior to that which is which Honey Asher and the Kids is the reason why I think the Rocketeer is only his third best film (laughs) (laughs) that's a good argument to make um yeah, uh, should we talk? Should we talk about Jennifer Connelly as well? We didn't quite get to her when we went through the cast, other than Matt saying how sexy she is. Uh, how sexy she is. She's um, she's never been sexier, I think, than this uh, than this movie. Okay, so there is a specific. There's quite an interesting point. Um, the main thing we have to talk about with Jennifer Connelly is that in the in the comic book, yeah, she is Betty Page. Basically, yeah. she she she, she is, is Betty. Page. She's literally is Betty Page. She's um mm. she's her name's Betty, not Jenny. She's a glamour model, basically, or she wants to be an actress, but she's she's kind of hanging around with a glamour photographer. And there are pages of her where she looks identical. And Dave Stevens was apparently good friends with Betty Page. Well, apparently, apparently Betty he Page... became friends with her after. I think is did I read that right? That actually he oh, drew her in because he was a fan, and then as a result of basing a character on her, he then later became friends with her and basically got her blessing to carry on drawing her as as the character. Ah, uh, okay. And then, but then she said she didn't want her name associated with the movie, or they, she wouldn't give them the um, the uh, rights to use her to use her name basically for the movie. So I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the again. That's I, the I own, thought that's the IMDb just, trivia. Um, my my assumption was this is Disney doing a family film and they don't want to link it to a pinup and also the character is quite different anyway so I thought they were just it was just for that reason but yeah maybe maybe she yeah I mean, um, before I read the before I read the trivia I wrote down in my notes they toned down the Betty Page stuff probably wise I mean uh, yeah you it would completely change the movie if you had any I mean the the comic book is quite racy in that sense so it would completely change the movie if you did that faithfully. I can't imagine Disney ever making that version of the movie either. No, no, certainly not. That's another thing as well. This is very much a a Disney, a, a, like a li- Disney live action stuff that isn't, you know, one of their franchises already. They always feel quite distinct. They always feel like they. You feel like you could tell you could tell that it has Disney above the title, even if. Even if you hadn't seen that it was a Disney movie in advance, and there's there's just something that's slightly it's it's 
it's polished, it's well made, and slightly clean cut. And yeah, I, I'm I, honestly a little bit surprised that given that that was what was in the graphic novel that Disney made this movie. <laughs> Unless they kind of just bought it with those all of those panels crossed out. Just on a on a very similar kind of uh, note about Disney not doing doing anything too racy. There's a cut. There's a lovely match cut towards the end of the movie where they cut from a shot of the hills to some silk sheet, uh, the line of silk sheets that kid, Jenny's been kidnapped and she's been drugged and she's kind of waking up on this silk on this silk sheeted bed in uh, Neville Sinclair's house. And so they, yeah, there's a cut from the hills to the to the sort of lines of the sheets. Let's just say I remembered that cut differently. <laughs> I thought that was a slightly more uh, salacious bit of uh, editing, but no, it's uh, it's it's actually quite tasteful. Um, can we talk about the, the the bits of the movie that we the, that we didn't think worked? Because uh, I, I I would love Matt to hear the thing that you think really doesn't work. Because the the bit that annoyed me when watching it was halfway through the movie, we get to this big this big set piece where Jenny is with Timothy Dalton and she doesn't yet know that he's a villain, but, uh, but, um, he does. So he, he comes in and he's disguised himself as a waiter to save her. And then I just say, I love that he has his, uh, flight jacket on under the waiter suit. (laughs) (laughs) I think I I actually think that scene is again I keep using this word it's so charming, uh the the com the the kind of little comedy ensued there with he knows one thing and but she knows another thing and Timothy Dalton obviously knows all of his nefarious plans but he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know that she knows him it's all fun. Um, well, it's and- it's specifically Timothy Dalton doesn't is is using her to get to Cliff because he knows Cliff has the rocket pack. Yeah, but he doesn't know what he looks like. Yes. And um, and Jenny sees him as the waiter, but she's annoyed with him. So she starts basically insulting him in front of uh, Timothy Dalton, who also doesn't realise that he's standing right next to them. And then, uh, and then when when he said, "Have you are you new here?" No, sir. I served you last week. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all great. But then this this enormous uh, set piece in the ballroom kicks off and. There's this and that and that going on. And then finally, Billy manages to escape. And the only reason he's gone there is to save Jenny. But he's left Jenny there. And then Timothy Dalton just walks off of her going like, yeah, I've got you again. <laughs> it, just, it really bugged me watching it. I was like, why have I watched the past 10 minutes of this movie with all this nonsense going on for Billy just to forget the reason why he came here in the first place? Cliff, not Billy. Billy's the actor. Sorry. Yeah, i oh. I, so I, I'm going to spend the rest of this podcast doing that. Okay. Um, that's my main problem with it, too, for a slightly different reason. Actually, the reason you bring up is completely valid, and you're right. Like, it's ridiculous that she gets caught at the end of it. But um, but just the, for me, it, the fact that they have this whole scene of him flying around the, the... Well, it's based on the Brown Derby. They call it the South Seas Club here, but it's based on a, on a real-life club called the Brown Derby that all Hollywood actors went to and they have that lovely look-alike stuff with um clark gable and wc fields as well which is which is great um but yeah like that's the point for me where they where it where they feel really disappoints is that they suddenly resort to kind of him smashing stuff up for comedy when he should be able to control the suit by properly by that point and it just really used to really annoy me that instead of doing kind of exciting rescue 
chasing after vehicles or something with the suit stuff. They do this nonsense flying around. Everyone going, oh, no. <sighs> anyway, yeah. So that's a problem for me too, that scene. Is that something that persists for you? Because the the movie, the action kind of does do a lot of that. I mean, I enjoy... I Okay, I confession, I enjoyed the comedy a bit more than I was expecting to re-watching it, but it still... Just the fact that he that he is kind of not in control of the suit at that point bothered me. Um, why doesn't he just leave? If, if there's that thing in the... Like you say, like he's come there to rescue Jenny. He thinks she's, she's safe at that point because he's seen her run away. She actually goes back. He doesn't know that she's gone back. So if he thinks she's safe and there's the skylight in the roof that he eventually flies out of anyway, why doesn't he just fly up straight away? I mean, yeah, I agree. Because <laughs> it seems like he, I, it seems like he is protecting the the pack more than he's protecting her at that point, which doesn't feel right. Then, sorry, he couldn't protect the pack any better than flying away with it. Uh, where was I going to go to next? I've got a couple of other issues with it. All oh, right, um, go on. Yeah, yeah. Should we, main... should we should we do the this is Matt's therapy corner now? <laughs> just he just needs to get it out to the world the things that he doesn't like about the film that he loves. I've waited to say these things since 1991. <laughs> <laughs> um, mainly, it's there. Like I said, like I, I had a, a great love for uh, King of the Rocket Men, which obviously because of the way those Republican serials work, they had an inc- they had incredible cliffhangers every week. So, you know, so the King of the Rocket Men series has 11 rocket-based, rocket-pack-based cliffhangers to choose from, and the movie doesn't do any of those. And it's all kind of, you know, like I said, like chasing speeding vehicles, people falling off cliffs, you know, all stuff that requires a rocket suit to save them in the next episode. And they don't do any of them. They could have they could have basically studied King of the Rocket Men and used a bit more of that stuff for the action stuff in the movie. So I, I feel like there aren't enough action scenes and mm. um and there should be at least one or two more. I think I think it's I think the pro the problem that the film gives itself, isn't it, is that it it makes itself about the rocket pack. You know, the the rocket pack is the MacGuffin of the movie. And so for that reason, it can't just be the thing that the rocketeer uses to go round and do stuff. It's got to be this object that everyone's chasing after. And so because of that, what you what you can't get, apart from that that plane set set piece that we talked about, which which overall is probably the, the overall I I do like the, the the blimp stuff at the end, but I think that, you know, that plane sequence is, is the highlight of the movie. Um aside from that, it's lots of people chasing him to try and get the rocket pack, not him using the rocket pack that he happens to have to stop other plots that are going on or, or help people in other situations. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's uh, almost like it, it's that it's that classic thing of okay, well the first one set it up. Now let's have the sequel where the origin's done with, and he can just get on with being the hero. Uh, obviously, we never got that, but yeah, a film that's more about him flying around in set piece situations. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, we're we're talking about 1991 when um, you know the the fly the rocket flying stuff was having to be done with like models and i'm you know this is nothing yeah. against models I, I love a model shoot and i love practical model effects but it does limit you what you can do in terms of acrobatic flight sequences yeah it's got a, a man in it rather than a ship or a plane i think some of the effect stuff hasn't really aged that well as well like some of the mm. obvious green screen stuff it, it looks like superman looks like donna superman does sometimes it's you can tell basically 
Um, the effects would obviously be different if they were done today. Uh, and yeah, just occasionally it sort of pulls you, takes you out of it a bit, I think. Speaking of which, does it feel like, um, I'm, Matt, I'm sure you'll have seen this. Does it feel like this film was also something that Brad Bird was riffing on in Tomorrowland? Because uh, obviously the the jet the rocket pack jetpack is a is a MacGuffin early on in that movie, or in fact quite quite a long way through that movie, and this whole uh, the the kind of I don't know the whole vibe of I could just imagine Disney remaking this now this kind of the the retro futurist stuff, um, the Howard Hughes the kind of the idealist who is creating this stuff but not wanting it to fall into the, into the wrong hands. Uh, I think Tomorrowland was a project that ultimately didn't work out, but I actually, I was watching this and I, and I was being reminded of it and thinking, God, I wish Brad Bird had just remade this instead of hmm. instead of making Tomorrowland. They were talking about remaking this, weren't they? With a, like they were going to cast um, a young young black girl or something to, to as the rocketeer yeah. and they had these had these ideas that seems to have gone very quiet if they're still doing that it feels like a no-brainer i i i can't I, this feels like something that disney could make now make well and make money from i'm sure they will eventually um i can see them kind of keeping it in their back pocket for a while i, I, I guess you i guess you'd have to kind of wait to get it right wouldn't you like you'd have to kind of get the right script, the right idea, the, everything. Like you don't want to kind of rush it because there'll be a lot of people that would be, well, would there? Maybe there isn't. Maybe there isn't much of a maybe there isn't much of a rocketeer kind of cult outside of me and Ben Mortimer. That's basically it. <laughs> the thing is, as well, right? You could get Joe Johnston to do a new one, even. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. Rocketeer I'm just going to put sequel. it out there. I'm just, I was just going to. I was just going to say. I'm just going to put it out there. Sequel. Bring Bill Campbell back. Bring Jennifer Connelly back. You know, set it 20 years later if you have to, but um, yeah, let's do it, yeah. 30 years, Jesus Christ, 30 years later. No, I'm 20. all about the I'm all about the career renaissance of Jennifer Connelly as well. It feels like Hollywood has not... They, Hollywood has struggled to nail down what Jennifer Connelly's thing is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've enjoyed, of... I've enjoyed lots of her performances, but I, but yeah, I feel like she's... You know, didn't have the career she deserved. Yeah, so I, 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 in almost everything she's in, I think she's great, and I'm. That's why I'm kind of pumped that she is. In the next two years, she's in Elisa Battle Angel, which I still think could be a big hit because of Cameron's involvement. Um, and she's been cast as the female lead in the Top Gun sequel, which I'm like, yes, let's bring, let's bring Jennifer Connelly back to the masses because that movie's going to be huge. And yeah, just someone figure out what to do with Jennifer Connelly. Yeah, was she? She was the voice of the suit in Spider Man, wasn't she? Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that counts. <laughs> yeah, no. She so she has a Marvel connection, but it's not a great one. And she's, she's married to she's married to the other Marvel connection. Yes, that is that is absolutely true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, 
Are we still doing doing points against? Because I've got, I've got a couple more. <laughs> okay, yeah. On, this has just turned into slamming this film. No, I'm <laughs> not back, slamming it. I'm not slamming it. And, we're and back you in may. So my problem with the finale, at least the problem I thought I had with the finale, was that all he does is fly up to the blimp with the rocket suit. That's kind of it. And yes, okay, he does that bit where he knocks the guy off and then and then flies oh, round and knocks him up again, or gets knocked off and flies round and knocks him up again. We talk about that guy. We definitely yeah, we will. Talk about we will talk about that guy later on. Um, yeah. But the other, my other thing, and again, this is probably going to be just me. I have a, a long-standing love of like Errol Flynn movies and swashbuckling generally, and I feel like it's a massive. I mean, I know the scene, I know the movie has a sword fight in it. I know that you do get plenty of sword fight stuff, which otherwise, <laughs> which is something else actually that I wanted that made me laugh this time round. And again, something I hadn't really thought about before was that you know that they keep they keep getting really annoyed that they that that take gets ruined because the girl delivers her line badly at the end. Like they reshoot the entire like five minutes just to do. They don't just reshoot her line over and over again. They reshoot the entire fight sequence over and over again, and then she blows it with her line every time. And they're like, they're on like take twenty eight, and nobody's figured they can just cut this in, just change it to a reaction shot, and just cut it in. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off the point. So okay, but if you could have if you, if you can have Timothy Dalton buckling that much much swash, why wouldn't you? He, yes, true. He, and he is buckling a lot of swash. But that's, yeah, so it really bothered me that, like, it felt like such a. No, okay, it really bothered me, isn't fair. But it felt like such a missed opportunity to me to not have a sword fight between between Cliff and um, and Neville, to basically Timothy Dalton and Bill Campbell. Because all you would have needed to do to make that work in the script is to have Cliff either like auditioning to be a stuntman or wanting to kind of work as a stunt, to get stuntman work or something like that. I think he even references. Definitely in the definitely in the comic book, there's a reference to him having done stunt work and and basically not being interested in Hollywood. Um, or that may have been in the movie. I can't remember now. But it just felt like that's what I wanted to see on the blimp is basically the two of them having a sword fight or something. You know, <laughs> again, that's, that may be just me. Um, and that's yeah, that's it. That's basically my. Uh, those are basically all my issues with it. I feel like see, I feel like the rocket suit should have had more of a use in the end than just flying up to the blimp and flying around the blimp, <laughs> and obviously it plays a big part in the death scene. Incidentally, that's that's something else I wanted to say about this. It's really unusual for the main villain to get killed off before the henchman. That's true, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I can't also, think of another movie where that happens. Kind of in the moment as well, the the killing of the villain is kind of the killing of the hero because the rocket suit's gone then. You're like, yeah. right, okay, so there's there's our superhero gone as well. He, he's just a dude again. Yeah, yeah, true. Although Howard Hughes does come in and save the day and make a sequel possible at the end. Indeed. Which is lovely. Plus PV has, like, rocket, rocket suit making skill, rocket pack making skills. PV being yeah. Alan Arkin's character. Yeah, PVP body. <laughs> um, let's talk about the henchman. Because as soon as he walked on screen, I was like, wait, what's going on here? Okay, so that guy is played by an actor called Tiny Ron, who also appears in the movie as uh, the good old boy when um, Cliff flies, flies past the, the sort of two farmers and one of them says, big gopher. The other one is what that guy looks like out of makeup, basically. But he was put in this, um, in this well, sort of Frankenstein-like makeup, basically, to as a reference, as a visual reference to an actor called Rondo Hatton who used to play kind of heavies and kind of grotesques in in I guess the 40s perhaps the the 30s 
something like that anyway. Yeah, I've just I've I've just googled him. Um he is a peculiar looking chap. Um so it, I get, known yeah, as the it, ugliest man in movies. It makes a bit more sense, but in the movie it's it's jarring. It feels a bit weird and out of place. Um but I guess it does it does it does give more, it it does feel more comic booky, yeah. I was going to say exactly that, yeah. And they, they have, and they do, they really play up on that as well. Like they have some, again, it's a it's a Disney movie, so they you can't show too much violence. So they do this all, all this stuff where they, you see him doing horrible things in silhouette, like he effectively ties somebody. Yeah. Well, you don't see him tie them in a knot, actually, do you? In the end, but but still, so he does something horrible to somebody who's kind of already in a hospital bed, and you see that just in silhouette, and and other things like that. Yeah, maybe isn't, isn't maybe John it feels Pinto's a bit death? more cartoonish to do it that way than it would. If you did it just with a normal guy, that you it would it would feel a bit more brutal. Whereas here, it feels like yeah, almost otherworldly. Yeah, he so is, the violence he, doesn't feel quite as real. He is very weird and creepy, though, isn't he? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I and I do love the stuff at the the third act stuff with him. I think is very fun with him climbing off the side and then <laughs> trying to out, outrun the explosion and stuff at the end. Very yeah. very fun. Uh, Matt, you mentioned that um, you've read the graphic novel, but that you don't think it is as good as the movie. Can you di- can you dive into that a bit more? Because um, you know that uh, that's part of this podcast. Want to uh, know more about the source material? Um, but but tell us about the source, but also why you think or why you enjoyed the movie more. The source materials has some of the of the stuff that's in the movie. Like the plane rescue is pretty much more or less as it is on the page. Uh, the movie, even there though, the movie ties it all together better. Like everything. So in the movie, um, Malcolm who's the alcoholic character has a, he feels indebted to, to Cliff because he's accidentally, uh, I think he spilled some, spilled some food on Jenny or something. He's upset Jenny anyway, and he feels bad. And so he wants to make it up to Cliff. So he basically takes his, when Cliff is going to be late for this going up in the clown suit, in the plane as part of um, the boss's something the boss wants him to do. Eddie, but um, Malcolm basically takes his place. Um, whereas in the in the in the comic, he just goes up. There's no reason for him going up. He just goes up because you know because um, they're friends or something. Mm. Um, and then the, so the movie has shadowy figures after the rocket suit in the sa- the rocket pack in the same way. But it and there are Nazis mentioned, like Nazis are trying to get their hands on it and what have you, and the FBI are trying to get their hands on it, and Howard Hughes is mentioned but not seen, um, and a character who you initially think is a heavy turns out to be a, a, a one of the good guys. He's he's like there is a character that looks a lot like Neville Sinclair actually, uh, in that he's got you know the sort of Errol Flynn moustache and he's sort of tall and thin and what have you. But he again he turns out to be a good a good guy rather than a Nazi spy. Um, and the movie and the, and the comic basically that's not very satisfying all that stuff it's basically it's just people trying to get their hands on the, on the rocket pack but at the same time Cliff is more concerned with what's happening with Jenny and Jenny is or Betty in this and Je- Betty is basically you know they have arguments and she's she wants to be this glamour photographer and this glamour photographer sorry this glamour model and the glamour photographer that she's working with is effectively trying to lure her away to Europe and she ends up going away it pretty much ends on a not exactly a cliffhanger but but 
she goes it ends with her going to Europe with this guy and Cliff stealing a plane and going after her and that's pretty much it they don't really have any of the I mean something else I wanted to say earlier on when we were talking about the uh, the lack of action scenes to be fair to the source material there aren't that many rocketeer action scenes in the source material either no there are there are an awful lot of, of uh, full page drawings of Betty with not many clothes on there's one and there's but yeah there's there's one full page which yeah is pretty great and um, and there's a, and there's a handful of other um, scantily clad pictures yeah hang on, i'm just gonna, i'm just grabbing the novel again where is it I was as as preparation for this. I I was I was reading it on the train, and and I, it was one of those uh, saga esque things of oh, I feel a bit awkward about reading this on the train all of a sudden, which I wasn't expecting from from the rocket. <laughs> yeah, I had the same thing. I was reading it on the tube, and uh, oh look, it my my copy has literally fallen over, fallen open on that page. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that says. Yes, indeed. Um, Interestingly, you were you were talking earlier about the uh, about one of the one of the executives, the Disney executives, wanting to change the suit. The, the guy that's supposed to be flying the the rocket suit does have that kind of like astronaut astronaut like getup. He only appears on like one page, but but um, he has like sort of weird looking goggles and and what have you. The rocket the rocketeer helmet is like in the movie. It's something that PV and PV whips up. But yeah, that's pretty much it, I think. Uh, there's a whole, there's a lot of sort of action with. There's some more stuff with planes. Uh... So, do you think it's that for you that the movie is cleaner? That it, it tells a kind of like a tighter version of this story. It's not really a version of the story. Story, even they've they've it's it's its own thing. The whole invention of um, Neville Sinclair and being being a Nazi spy is effectively what makes this what makes the movie different. Um, so it's so it's more they, that they've they've taken the aesthetic and the and the core idea of the graphic novel. I would say and, they've taken and, yeah and turned it into what is I don't know yeah for me a a, a charming nineteen thirties romp. The characters are all the other characters are all the same. They all have the same names except obviously um, you know Jenny is Jenny rather than Betty, uh, but Peavy's the same, Malcolm's the same, Millie's the same. Um, you know, you know, almost all, the, and as I said, Howard Hughes is in it, mm. uh, and even um, John Polito's character, I think, even has the same name. So yeah, it's been it's it's faithful up to a point. Like I said, the first, the the first kind of um, chapter, first couple of chapters, we up to and including the um, the plane rescue stuff, is all more or less from the page. Yeah, the origins, and, and then yeah. after that, it it deviates. It still has so- gangsters and FBI agents <laughs> and, and what have you. Yeah, you also uh, you also mentioned Matt that you thought the movie was stronger in its first half. Is it, and and there was a reason for that. Is is there a is there a turning point in the film for you where you just think, all oh, right, it's not it's not quite as good from here on in? Well, I alluded to it before, but um, I mean, I talked about it before. But yeah, the the bit where he starts smashing stuff up in the in the in the South Seas Club rather than doing something else heroic at that point. But is it is it that scene in general, or do you think that generally the second half? Well, like I said, like rewatching it, I didn't have this. I, I was kind of dreading it rewatching it, and then it came up, and I was like, "Yeah, this is actually okay. I'm sort of okay with this." So I, I'll dial back a little bit on um, on that. Yeah, but that's, that's, I, that's I, the kind of feeling I've had I've had about it for the last thirty years is that it's weaker in the second half. But actually, I really enjoyed the the climax much more this time around, and uh, and even the flying around the 
Brown Derby and smashing stuff up when he should be doing cool stuff didn't bother me as much. And I kind of like all of the um, I like all the Timothy Dalton like grandstanding and monologuing to Jenny and uh, and uh, and like digging into all of his nefarious plans. Because yeah, you're right. <laughs> you were right when you said Seb the twist of him being the villain. <laughs> um, even when like the t- the twists are like. Oh, he's not just this type of villain. He's that type of villain, <laughs> and like it's not that he's just a bad dude who wants this rocket pack for himself. He's a literal Nazi. And then I, I kind of thought all the stuff was fun that like the gangsters, like the gangsters drew the line at Nazis as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote, I wrote down Eddie Valentine, American gangster. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, I suppose if I had another objection, it's the they. I could have done without the shot of him against the American flag. <laughs> And I possibly could have even done without Go Get Him Kid from from um, Eddie Valentine. But it's hilarious that they have a full-on Nazi invasion. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. Like him calling out, like suddenly there were like 30 Nazis. Oh, yeah. You know, in, like, they're not in, like, they're like not in Nazi uniform, yeah. but they are in uniform. Yeah, exactly like that. They're not in Nazi uniform, but they are in uniform. They come charging out of the kind of undergrowth. The mo- <laughs> so they've just been lurking there at this secret meet, supposedly secret meeting that's been called uh, to get the rocket pack back. And it, yeah, and then suddenly, not only that, but there's a Zeppelin in the air that's come from nowhere that no one's noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah. What were you saying before, Seb? I was just going to say it was when you mentioned the, the about like the Brown Derby and stuff, and I think it's a shame. Obviously, there's there's other stuff the film's trying to cram in, but obviously it has got kind of a, a I think a superficial surface thing of of that spending time in in you know late thirties Hollywood. Um, but it's a shame that we, even though obviously the, the the Neville part of the plot is based around that, I think that's a I, I like that as a setting. I, I always like that that era and that place as a setting, and I think it's a shame that we don't you know get to spend a little bit more time on on the more iconic side of of, of that side of things. You know, uh, oh, so you know it's it's busy fitting in gangsters and Nazis as well as Hollywood stars. So. Um, <laughs> A great '30s gag as well is the um, is crashing into the Hollywood Land sign. Yes, that's a nice. Uh, where, 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 and, and they even give it they give it a nice setup where he says, "I'll miss Hollywood," and then obviously he he does miss Hollywood, yeah. but he crashes into Hollywood Land the the land part. Yeah, I feel like I've seen that joke a lot of times. It gets used a lot, yeah, because because uh, haven't they they did a version of it with BoJack Horseman, didn't they as well? Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, a, I would say that is my... the earlier examples of doing that joke. Any kind of time travel slash thirties uh, comedy is basically going to do that joke. Set in Hollywood is basically going to do that joke. A joke along those lines. Yeah, you're right. I've seen a few as well, but I can't really think of any others offhand. No, it's 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 fun. Um, this movie's fun. It's charming, you guys, and I liked it. It is really charming. I love the ending. Like I said, the ending gave me goosebumps. Just the little, the little, you know, he saw the look on your face and uh, and him giving him the uh, Howard Hughes giving Cliff the plane. <sighs> I can't, I can't say it's a movie that I think I'm gonna like get out the DVD and watch regularly or anything like that. But will you I at least buy that... the soundtrack? <laughs> well, I t- what I was gonna say is I think it's now gonna be one of those movies that if I'm, you know, if I'm flicking through channels and I see it's on. I could I could see myself watching half an hour of this before bed, or like watching it through to the end. You know, it's it, it's that kind of movie. Like say I, or or like that I absolutely feel like I could put it in the background and watch while I'm watch while I'm doing other things because 
I know what's going on and just to be able to catch two minutes here and two minutes there is is probably going to be enough because for me the real charm of the movie was that was the aesthetic was the world that Joe yeah. Johnson builds here and yeah I just had it I just thought it was nice <laughs> I don't know if that sounds damning with faint praise but I did just think this is a nice movie and I like it and I want it to be my friend I wish they had made more Rocketeer movies I wish it had been a big enough hit to get a sequel and that they would could have done a second one I do, I do think a, a a reboot or a sequel or a, a remake feel like a bit of a no brainer. Yeah, I'm sure uh, they'll do it. They'll do it at some point. Like I said, they're already t- they're already talking about it, but I'm sure they'll do it at some point. But will the only it be as good? Is, it's, it's, will they put the gonna... same amount of love into it? I don't know if they will. It it would be a movie that would make a certain amount of money, and unfortunately, Disney likes movies that make double and triple that amount of money. Yeah. So it's whether there is it's whether there's space for it on the schedule. I tell you what could also, be what could be a good that... bell uh, bell weather for it is um Artemis Fowl, which is a movie coming out from Disney next year, which feels a little bit different to what they do. I don't know, they, but but again I, I guess they took a swing on a wrinkle of, in time this year. This this feels like it could be kind of a wrinkle in time level movie and maybe make a bit more money than that one did. I one thing that may work against it. Um, and I, I wondered if you, you said that you'd only really seen the the suit from um, from the from my uh, Twitter avatar, and I get a lot of people who're not familiar with the movie, who've not mm. heard of the Rocketeer, saying, "Oh, is that Iron Man?" <laughs> um, so I wonder if maybe just the fact that he's a guy that has a rocket suit and flies has kind of been superseded by other superheroes, and maybe ah uh, no, you you'd play have to... you play on that in the if anything you use that in the marketing, you'd be like, you know. You almost bill it as 1930s Iron Man. <laughs> uh, one more thing I want to say about the poster, by the way. I, I don't think I ever owned the actual poster, but I did own... I did have three... So back in the 90s, shortly, I guess, probably 91, 92, Empire used to do a thing where they had um, cards. Of, they had a whole like, couple of years where they would do like pull out cards of like like magazine page size cards of film posters and I had all of those and the Rocketeer was one of those. And so I had that and I had another you know like you know like flying ducks on, on people have like flying ducks on their on their walls. You know, like mm. one and then another one slightly bigger one and then another slightly bigger one. I had that with Rocketeer posters. <laughs> I had a I had a postcard, a sort of medium sized like thing from a you know, like a cinema brochure or something with the same image, the same poster image, and then the this thing from Empire. So it looked like they were flying. <laughs> I'll show you. I'll, I'll tweet. Cool. I'll tweet a picture of it. Um, when, oh, definitely when the podcast do, yeah. comes out. Yeah, it looked nice on my bedroom wall at the time. <laughs> and it, it has to be said, that poster is gorgeous. It's wonderful, isn't it? Have you seen the um, the Iron Man version? There's a oh, there's no. a there's a. Oh, no, sorry, no, I've got that wrong. Not the not the Iron Man version. There's a couple of again. I'll look them up. There's a couple of kind of lovely different versions of it that people have like fan art stuff that people have done since is really really nice and I've, i'm sure i've seen one with iron man as well in a similar setup anyway i've again, just googled still... iron man rocketeer and actually seen multiple examples of people oh there you go okay it with iron man. the sort of thing that's very popular on tumblr yeah <laughs> i have any i do have a, a tumblr alert for uh for rocketeer actually <laughs> anytime anytime rocket i'm all about the rocketeer fan art anytime that like something like that comes up i'm all over it right uh guys is there any uh 
probably one more for you, Matt. Is there anything else you want to bring our attention to before we draw this conversation to a close, or maybe just tell us one last time why it is you love this movie so much? <laughs> what do you say? Probably one more for you. What are you? What are you thinking? I've missed out here. Um... Oh no, no! I was just wondering whether there was anything that you that you'd missed. Um. Yes. Oh, yes. There is. There's. Well, there's just something else I wanted to say. Really, that that um, you know, I was thinking as we when we when you said you were doing this episode, is it a superhero? Is it really a superhero movie? And actually, there are some really lovely superhero movie scenes in this. Obviously, before you know, now we can't. You can't move for superhero movies now. But back in 1991, as we were talking about earlier, you that wasn't really. They weren't really a thing. So it's kind of a stealth superhero movie. But you have like. Um, I wrote down he is a superhero. Like he goes to he goes to save people when he when he could be killed himself. Like that that moment he has those hero moments. Like the moment when he basically takes off to to save Malcolm in the in the plane because um, Malcolm being drunk in the plane also endangers everybody watching the air show. So he is doing this kind of selfless heroic act. Um, bunch of other stuff like that. He, he, there are a couple of kind of other. Uh, oh yes, no, I got a line that we um, we definitely should have should have mentioned and didn't mention when he says, "Brace yourself, Jenny. I'm the Rocketeer," and she goes, "The Rocker who?" Like she, <laughs> so it's like <laughs> I wrote great superhero scene after that because you know the reveal of the secret identity, but then the twist being that she's no idea who he's talking about. Star Lord, eat your heart heart out, basically. I think Star Lord owes, and actually the look of Star Lord too owes a little bit to the Rocketeer, don't you? The red leather. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, the, the, the Rocketeer has clearly been an influence on the MCU. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Oh, waving at the waving at the plane is another proper superhero scene, and again, something that we've seen in multiple other movies. <laughs> waving at the passengers in the plane and them looking shocked. <laughs> um, yeah. That's I love the WC's Field stuff. Um, that's pretty much it, I think. Oh, just the, for me, I mean, I'm guessing from what you were saying earlier about Joe that you, it didn't really work for you, but the, for me, the romance and chemistry between um, the two of them is really good. Oh no, I think the I think the romance is sweet. It's no, it's no uh, Peggy and Steve, but um, <laughs> wow, what uh, is yeah, because there you've got Hayley Atwell and Chris Evans, and here you've just got Jennifer Connelly. But just <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think it's I I think the romance is sweet. Uh, I like it. It feels uh, it feels appropriate for this kind of movie. And again, it's similar to Captain America: The First Avenger. They've got the right, just the right amount of kind of. Uh, there's there's just the right amount of spark between them and the am- right amount of conflict between them. Yeah, uh, I, but but not too much that you aren't still rooting for them to to end up together. Yeah, and as you said, Jennifer Connelly's just gorgeous. So My it makes God. it makes sense that his primary motivation throughout the entire scene of the movie would be her. She is stunning in this. That shot of her when she's lit by the spotlight towards the end is is jaw dropping. And she and she's got the kind of the right look for a movie star of that era, I think. And she looks like Betty Page, so they 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 kind of win, even though they haven't. The character in the movie is has no connection whatsoever to uh, to Betty Page. She still looks like her, so they kind of win. They get it both ways there. Yeah. The only other thing I think I wanted to mention was that I love some of the shot choices, the uh, particularly the shots of the helmet. There's a lot of kind of shots where the 
where the helmet's kind of in the foreground. It's because it's such a great object anyway. Um, but so even in scenes where the helmet, helmet isn't necessarily the focus of that scene, you still have like a big close up of it and then like the action happens, happens behind it and what have you. Just a few other things like that. Mm. It is a lovely, charming little movie. Um, so, uh, that was the Rocketeer, you guys. Um, and as we have nixed the pitch for now, um, probably to be replaced at some point in the future, Seb, we, <laughs> we'll, we'll we still commit to that. Oh, <laughs> I'm sad I missed the, nixed yeah. the pitch. I was looking so, forward to doing a pitch. Uh, what, what would you like to pitch, Matt? A Rocketeer sequel. <laughs> yeah, I guess I've already done that. Yeah, I guess you've already yeah. done that. We, uh, yeah, to I be mean, fair, I suppose the picture. Probably... I mean, I didn't. You, I knew that you weren't going to do one because you didn't send me anything to say you were going to be doing one. But I was, I was, I was thinking maybe it would be. Yes, pitch me your perfect Rocketeer sequel. But I haven't I mean, done I... that, so don't ask me to do it now. Well, and we've and we kind of talked around it slightly yeah. during the conversation. Anyway, <laughs> basically, yeah. just get Joe yeah. Johnson and the original cast back for a follow-up. Yeah, yeah, I'd want yeah. a proper all cast return flash uh, sequel basically rather than a reboot uh, but uh, passing the torch to a new rocketeer that's what I want to see to yeah. a young to a young um, Howard Stark <laughs> as long as Bill Campbell is doing the torch passing that's that's fine by me <laughs> um, so yeah so that is it for this week's podcast Matt thank you so much for joining us uh, before you go would you like to let the listeners know where they can find you online and plug your various um, your various content. I would indeed. Um, thank you very much for having me, first of all. And uh, I'm on Twitter at FilmFan1971. And I'm the co-host of a podcast called um, uh, Fatal Attractions, which is a podcast all about erotic thrillers, from, mostly from the 90s, although we've actually moved on to the noughties now. Uh, we're on our 44th episode of, uh, of, <laughs> of this podcast. So, you know, if you or someone you know is uh, someone whose life might be enriched by a podcast about erotic thrillers from the 90s, then by all means, have a listen. Uh, and I'm a freelance film critic. And I, uh, I, yeah, my work's kind of basically pretty much gets all posted on my Twitter at some point. So, um, so yeah, FilmFan1971 on Twitter. And you'll be able you'll be able to spot you because of your rocketeer because avatar. of my rocketeer avatar, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, thanks again for joining us, Matt. Um, Seb and I will uh, be back with James next week for a minisode, um, and we've got a fairly busy schedule up between now and Christmas because of the new releases. Uh, there'll be a couple of episodes around them as well, but definitely stay tuned in between now and the end of the year. And obviously, we'll have our award show at the end of the year as well. Which said, we're hoping to do potentially in person if yeah. yeah if we can get in the same place. It might prove tricky, but we're going to try because um, that would be fun. It's been a while since we've been in the same place, so we definitely need to try and make it happen. Yes. Uh, also, just a couple of quick bits of business uh, before we go. Uh, usually at this point, James would thank new Patreon backers, and I think we have got a new one, but James isn't here, and he's the one who gets the email notifications about that. Uh, so if you've backed us recently and you were expecting to be thanked, uh, apologies, but uh, we'll do it on the next one because uh, James will be here for that. 
Uh, and also, if you're a Cinematic Universe completist, which I find it hard to imagine that anyone would be, but you never know, there might be somebody, then in order to hear a full set of Cinematic Universe episodes, um, you need to go and check out the uh, 10th anniversary episode of the popular comics podcast, House to Astonish, because you will hear a special Cinematic Universe microsode as part of that. Um, so also just go and give it a listen if you don't already, because it's the best comics podcast and they, they celebrated their 10th birthday uh, and various people sent them messages, including us. So um, go and check that out because because Alan Paul are great um, and very much the model for uh, comics podcasting generally. And 10 years of podcasting is a remarkable achievement. Yes. Uh, imagine yeah. where we'll be if we manage to make it to 10 years. <laughs> what films will we be left scraping the barrel for by that point? <laughs> Will we finally have got to Superman 4? <laughs> uh, brilliant. Okay, so if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice. And you can support us on patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. Uh, we have t-shirts at Redbubble. You should go and check those out. Still selling like lukewarm cakes. So you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse. Or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.